0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. All right, well, good morning, Grace Hill. It is always a pleasure and an honor to bring the Word of God to you guys. Whenever pastors Ryan and Lauren need me to fill in, I'm so gracious and, uh, and, and thankful for them to allow me to step in and just bring you the Word of God. Um, we love you. We love them as well. And uh, I just really want to quickly just hop into the Word of God today um, and into my sermon today. So with this being our final week of the series Ghost Stories, I think it's about time that you heard a proper ghost story, right? So can you go ahead and turn off the lights, please? A man was standing on the side of the road, hitchhiking in the middle of a thunderstorm on a dark and moonless night. Time passed slowly and no cars went by. It was raining so violently he could hardly see his hand in front of his face. Suddenly, he saw the headlights of a car approaching over, by, over a nearby hill. The car was moving very slowly as it approached, appearing ghost-like in the rain. It slowly and silently crept toward him and stopped. Desperately wanting a ride, the guy jumped in the car and slammed the door. Only then did he realize that there was nobody behind the wheel and no sound of the engine to be heard over the rain. Again, the car crept slowly forward and the man was terrified, frozen in fear. He couldn't get his body to jump out and run away. The car was dangerously approaching a sharp curve, so the man started to pray for his life. He was sure that the ghost car would go off the road, plunging into the river where he would surely drown. But just before the curve, a shadowy figure appeared at the driver's window, and a ghostly hand reached in and turned the steering wheel, spookily guiding the car safely and silently around the bend. Then, just as eerily, the hand disappeared through the window, and the hitchhiker was all alone again. Again, the man watched the ghostly hand reappear every time they reached a curve. Finally, somehow breaking out of his paralysis, the man let out a desperate scream. Ah! That was desperate, right? He, He jumped out of the car, and he ran frantically to the nearest town. Wet And in shock, he stumbled into the closest open establishment and told everybody in the bar about his supernatural experience. A silence enveloped the room and everybody got goosebumps as the man spoke of the strange car and the ghostly hand that guided it on its way. Just then, The front door blew wide open just as the thunder crashed, and two dark figures walked in. They were dripping wet, and as they looked around the room at all the frightened faces, their eyes came to rest on the hitchhiker. Look, said one of them, there's that stupid guy who jumped into our car when we were trying to push it in the rain. You can turn the lights up now. I'm going to give you guys a moment to let that one sink in. There we go all that these guys were needing was a little bit of help. And this fully capable person was too situationally unaware that he was no good use to anyone. (laughs) This sermon series has been focused on ghost stories, more specifically, uh, the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost stories. This sermon Uh, today, uh, I believe that it's going to reach and touch every single one of you because it's going to relate to your own personal ghost stories. If there's anything I've learned over the years about the Holy Spirit is that he gives us value. He gives us value. And because he gives us value, we should bring positive value to every situation that we walk into. Now, the man in the story I just told you about, he actually brought negative value into the situation that he found himself in. And that's not how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Because he is worthy, we carry that worth around with us to bring change into this world. And this story is such a great parallel, such a great parallel to what we're going to explore today. Uh, You see, I believe that every single one of us, we have our own real-life ghost stories. And it's not that our ghost stories are filled with ghouls and goblins. Uh, but that we've just gone through things or are currently going through things that just scare us to death. They scare us to death. Maybe maybe it's sickness or accidents or heartbreak. Maybe it's depression, mourning, financial issues that you're going through, relational issues. Maybe it's just various current abuses or past abuses. We all have stories that will make your skin crawl. And as we look to Scripture, we see similar stories of people all throughout the Bible, stories that parallel many of our own. And I don't know about you, but what gives me hope is that I see people in the Bible, no different from you and I, going through issues very similar uh, to us that we face. But they're encountering a loving God who brings life and freedom to their lives circumstances. Now, sometimes, of course, we read of God encountering people himself, but in many places, we find people who have been encountered by God and changed by God, then bringing that same change to other people. In essence, that is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, so far in this series, we've learned about the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts that he gives to Christian believers, and also what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to kind of put all that stuff together, and we're going to ask the question, what now? What do I do with all of the things that I've learned the past few weeks? What does it mean to live in the Holy Spirit? Now, ghost stories are are scary, and I believe that the antidote for fear Is love. The antidote for fear is love. And I believe that the only way that we can conquer our personal ghost stories is to turn them into love stories. And I believe that each one of us is the key to creating change in the lives of other people. So I want you to humor me this morning. Uh, There is a method to my madness. And so let's go ahead and pray before we dig into the Word of God. Father God, we pray, Lord that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have hearts and minds willing to be transformed as we study your word this morning. It's in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Now, Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 that he's going to send a helper And this helper is the Holy Spirit. And and I believe that in order to better understand the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to return to the beginning of the story, back to Genesis. So let me recap the entire Bible, starting in Genesis. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But understand this, that the Bible began as a love story. The Bible began as a love story. We know that in the beginning, God created, and his crown jewel of creation was man. In Isaiah 43, Scripture says that God created man to reflect his glory. And a reflection copies. It imitates. It does whatever it's shown. And we see all throughout the Bible, God modeling proper behavior for us all to reflect. And it's important to understand that God never needed us, but he greatly wanted us. He desired us. God loves us. He, he, and since he loves us, we should reflect that love, right? Now, the Psalms say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We find in Jeremiah that God says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. You were so important to God that even before you were born, he set you apart for better things. Jesus even said that every single piece of hair on your head is precious to God. Even the Apostle John writes, We love because he first loved us. See, God loves you and me, and so we should reflect that love. Uh, Now, how many of you guys know that love is a two way street, right? It's a two way street. Well, God, God knew that, God did. He didn't want to design man as a robot that would do anything and everything that God told him to do. Now, uh, some of you ladies are probably thinking, man, I wish that my husband would do anything and everything that I told him to do, right? Um, uh, Now, I might regret this, but let's go ahead and chase that rabbit a little bit, all right? Uh, Yeah, this is going to be good, right? Uh, Now, if your husband was programmable, just think of the things that you could have him do for you. You could program him to make you breakfast in bed every morning, right? To bring you chocolates, uh, roses, give you back rubs, right? Take you on romantic dates and trips. That sounds wonderful. But as great as this may seem, it's a double-edged sword. It truly is. Because you'll never know if your husband loves you out of his own volition or because you programmed him to. Hmm. God knew all of this, and God wanted true love. He wanted true devotion, true devotion. And the only way he could be sure of this was to create us with free will, the choice to do as we wish. Um, Now, many of you guys know this famous quote, but it goes something like this. It says, if you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they are yours, and if they don't, they never were. God loved us so much that he took a chance on love and he set us free knowing that freedom would present a vulnerability, a very real vulnerability for man to choose between right and wrong. He created us to reflect, but then gave us the choice to either reflect him or reflect something else. And out of God's great love for man, he created woman for he saw that it was not good for man to be alone. Amen? Uh, Genesis 1.18 says this. He made Adam a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. The term helper here is significant. It's significant. I mean, what did man need help with? I mean, if you ask us, you know, we'd probably say nothing. I don't need help with nothing, right? That's just the way we are as men. But if you ask their helper, however, um, I'll just leave that one there, <laughs> all right? Because their helper's got a lot of, All right. Chasing a rabbit once again. Uh, But when we look at the original Hebrew language, the term helper in Hebrew, if you guys can put that slide up, is Azer. Azer. Azer is used in the Bible a total of 21 times. Each time, each time it's used, it's used to represent someone who helps someone else stand against an adversary. Think about that. It's someone who helps someone else stand against an adversary. That's what helpers do. Helpers have your back. And God created each one of us to have each other's back, to protect each other from harm, to be there for for each other. And, And how ironic then that the very helper God created for Adam, in a moment of weakness, gave in to the very thing that she was created to stand against. Instead of reflecting God, she, refused, uh, she chose to reflect her fleshly desires. And I believe you and I are much more like Eve than we are like Adam. In our vulnerabilities, we fall short. We fail each other. But at the same time, we can't put this all on Eve because it was Adam who had the choice to do what was right, but sadly, he chose to sin. And then Eve followed suit. Hmm. And ever since the fall of man, God has been doing everything that he can within his free will, true love system that he has set in place to call men back to him. See, he wants us back. He wants you back. He wants me back. This, perhaps, is the very first ghost story for God. It's a ghost story of heartbreak. And I am sure that many of us can relate to heartbreak. In reality, God's ghost story is, centers on every time that we ghost him. When we walk away from him. When we pretend that we don't hear him. When we refuse his gaze. His gaze was meant to be reflected and not deflected. So this is so reflective of the story of the prodigal son that Pastor Michael preached on a few weeks back. And wasn't it so wonderful just to pay honor to Grace Hill's founding pastor uh, just by bringing him back to preach? I think it was. Uh, There was such love in the room that day um, and such appreciation in Pastor Michael's eyes. I was sitting right there, and you could just see the appreciation in his eyes. There were simply reflections of God's love beaming throughout the entire room that day. It It was awesome. It was awesome. It's a statement to what, lo- what it looks like when God is in the midst of raising up and sending out faithful servants. You know, and it's also a statement to the hearts of pastors Ryan and Lauren and their desire to show honor and respect to those who have gone before and paved the way for their successes. If there was ever a lesson on dignity and, and respect, it was shown that day. It, it was reflected that day. That day was a love story in its own right. And now, just like the story of the prodigal son, God placed Adam and Eve in a beautiful and lush, perfect garden, gave them anything and everything that they could have ever needed in order to have a perfect, happy life. He gave them dominion over all creation. In truth, God was telling them, everything I have is yours. But like the prodigal They walked away. So thinking about this garden, we know that the Spirit of God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis, we find Adam and Eve, we find that they can hear God talk, they can hear him walk, they can also feel his presence. And if there's anything I wish that you could just take away, grasp today, if there's anything that you could remember about today's sermon, it is this. Memorize this It's where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. That's our verse of today. Where can I find freedom? It's wherever the spirit of the Lord is, right? I don't know about you, but if that's where freedom is found, then that is where I want to be anyone caught in any ghost story, any true life ghost story in their own lives, they want to be rescued. They want to be safe. They want to find security to be free from an adversary. But wait a minute. If the spirit of the Lord was in the garden and Adam and Eve still sinned, then what's the catch? What's the catch? The catch is free will. It is. The catch is true love. The catch is that even in the midst of God's great affection toward us, we are still able to refuse his advances. We still willingly cuff ourselves to bondages instead of walking in his freedom. But the spirit of the Lord is always there, has the cuff keys to hand back to you when you want that, all right? But we are still deflecting his gaze. And that's what they did. The catch is that in our human nature, our free will nature, we have the tendency to reflect the flesh instead of the spirit. So what's the remedy then? Well, the Apostle Paul said that we should walk by the spirit, walk by the spirit. And we're going to get to the meaning of that in a moment. But first, we must understand the why behind the need. Why do we need to live in the spirit? And this brings us to the big idea of today that I want you to grasp, that living in the Spirit brings freedom to us and through us. Living in the Spirit brings freedom to us and through us. So if death represents bondage, then life would represent freedom. And in the Christian circle, we throw around a lot of terms that may not make sense to many of the outsiders. And it's kind of funny. I like to call these Christianese terms okay? Things like walk by the Spirit. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But things like, and it's okay to laugh at some of these things. Things like quiet time. You know, as if Christians kind of get rowdy sometimes. We're like, come on, we got to have our quiet time now, right? That's just, it's silly. Things like hedge of protection. Have you guys ever seen hedges? Are they protecting anything? Are they? I don't think they are. Things like traveling mercies. That's what the refs give LeBron James every game, right? Right? Okay. Some of you guys are awake. <laughs> Things like, I'll let you finish that laugh. Things like washed by the blood. That just sounds gross, doesn't it? It's. I mean, if you're an outsider, it sounds gross. Things like, uh, let's see here, laying on of hands. I think that's how that guy got washed by the blood, right? It sounds funny. And then lastly, uh, just doing life with each other. Doing life with each other. What does that mean? It's that last thing, doing life with each other, that I want to kind of talk about right now. What is doing life with each other? And let's look at Acts 2 to find a great example of this. And I'm going to set this up in just a second. Just remember that in Acts 2, the promised Holy Spirit baptizes the people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And remember that Jesus says in the first chapter of Acts that the very purpose for the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to receive power to be witnesses of Jesus throughout the whole world. Now, of those that remained in Jerusalem with the disciples after the baptism, um, we, we find a fantastic model of what the early church looked like and truly what the church of today should look like, what it should reflect. In fact, perhaps this is a glimpse into what God really desired and initially set up for Adam and Eve to look like as well. So let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship." praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I don't know about you, but this is the type of church that I want to belong to. And don't get me wrong, Grace Hill is wonderful. Grace Hill is fantastic, full of wonderful people who love God and love each other. But I think that the Acts 2 model, it gives every church a snapshot That shows that there is room for improvement. So how can we improve? Well, I think you guys know this Gandhi quote, but he said that we need to be the change that you want to see in the world, right? Be the change that you want to see in the world. There is a lot of wisdom in that saying. And if you want your Grace Hill community to reflect that of the early church there in Acts two, then the change really needs to start within ourselves. So this brings me to our first point here. Living in the spirit produces spiritual fruit. Living in the spirit produces spiritual fruit. I don't know if you guys know about Dave Ramsey, follow Dave Ramsey, have have been financially free. Um, But Christian financial guru, Dave Ramsey, he once said something like this. He said this, have you ever had so many kids that you've realized one of them is dumb? And you know that you love the dumb one just as much as you do all the others, right? Now, he, of course, he goes on to talk about cutting up credit cards and snowballing payments and all that responsible stuff, like the envelope system and whatever. But the point is that the point about loving your kids, uh, even the dumb ones, is really important to the historical context of Paul's ministry. You see, the apostle Paul, he planted many churches and he also advised many more, Um, these churches were his babies. And if he didn't have a chance to visit each one of them in person, uh, to just bring encouragement to them, he would correspond through writing letters. And these letter correspondences, they make up much of the New Testament that we read. Now, if we think about these churches that he's corresponding with as his kids, as his babies, all right, the Philippians and the Thessalonians... All right, those were all the good, responsible kids, Philippians and Thessalonians. The dumb kids were the Corinthians. The hippie kids were the Colossians. The Dungeons and Dragons kids were the Ephesians. And then the kids most likely to be influenced by others were the Galatians. But Paul loved them all. Some of them brought him great frustration absolutely, perhaps even nightmares, and I'm sure that he has his own ghost stories that he could tell. But nonetheless, he loved them all. Now, it's Paul's letter to the Galatians that we're going to look at in just a minute. Uh, and uh, if you caught on what I said earlier about the church there, the Galatians were once a thriving church, but then they became influenced negatively by false teachers. So let's look at Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul is writing to give them encouraging advice to get back on track. Get back on track. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, As I was reading that, did anybody, were you singing a song, the Fruits of the Spirit song? Any of you guys? Yeah, back there. There we go. We're going to do something fun right now. Let's look at verse 19. It's a really fun verse. Now, as I read aloud, word by word, if I get to a sin that you're guilty of, I want you to stand up. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. It's because we already know what your guilty sins are. You're not fooling anybody, right? No, I'm just kidding. What I want to point out to you, however, is that these sins are due to not living in the spirit, not reflecting the spirit, but reflecting the flesh. Now, earlier I talked about the Garden of Eden and God's spirit being present there with Adam and Eve. Well, in Genesis 2, Genesis 2 mentions a river flowing out of Eden in order to, go, to water the entire garden. And many scholars believe that this river is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And anyone that knows anything about gardening knows that if you don't water your plants, they're going to die, right? Paul mentions something within this passage that's very important to grasp. If you look at verse 17, can you flip back to verse 17? He contrasts the flesh with the spirit by stating how they are against each other. The flesh represents malnourishment that leads to sickness and death, while the spirit represents sustenance leading to life. And how can we tell if a Christian has spiritual life? Well, it's simple. It's through their spiritual fruit through their spiritual fruit. And it's, it's something that is seen. Fruit is something that is seen. It's something reflected. And every one of the spiritual fruits that are listed in those verses, it reflects God's nature. And I'll, it's so important for you guys to get this one thing right here. Fruits, fruits are meant to be tasted by sources other than the fruit bearer. That's good. Apple trees don't eat their own apples. Fruits are meant to be tasted by sources other than the fruit bearer. And many times we think that these fruits are solely for us, but truly they're meant to bring life to others. They're meant to bring life to other people. And that's why we should care for the members of our church body because a healthy church body feeds one another, brings life to one another. So looking at verse 16, Paul tells us in verse 16 that we should walk in the Spirit. And how are we supposed to do that? This is another one of those Christianese terms. If you look at the entire passage, he says that we should walk by the Spirit in verse 16. In verse 18, he says that we should be led by the Spirit. And then in verse 25, it says that we should live by the Spirit. And all those verbs there, they're progressive terms, progressive terms. And I think that many of us get stuck. We don't know how to get from point A to point B, but it's super simple. I read a fortune cookie one time. That was very spiritual. I read in a fortune cookie one time. It said this, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And immediately I thought to myself, what idiot would want to walk a thousand miles, right? Right? But then I became convicted because then my mind switched because my mind is weird. And I started singing that 90s song, and I would walk forever. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I, I, stupidly, I became convicted because that song is all about the things that one person would do and go through for love. And through my research, I became even more convicted because did you know that the Apostle Paul, in his lifetime, he walked a total of 10,000 miles. 10,000 miles. It's the equivalent of walking from New York City to Los Angeles four times. But it all started with a single step, and each step was motivated out of love. So if you're wondering how to begin to walk in the Spirit, it's easy. First, take a step toward God, verse 16. And then the Spirit will begin to lead you, verse 18. And then before long, you'll find yourself living in the Spirit, verse 25. Now, walking in the Spirit represents our desires to seek God in all that we do, verse 16. Verse 18, being led by the Spirit represents Our decision to listen to God, listen to His directions, and then follow those directions. Do what He says to do. And then in verse 25, living in the Spirit represents that your life is in full bloom with spiritual fruit. Hmm. Let's look at verse 22 real quick and all of those spiritual fruits. As you begin to develop spiritual fruits in your life, let's look at love. Love, you've found yourself to have compassion and love for others. Joy. You're finding joy in things both great and small. Peace. You have an overwhelming sense of peace in times of uncertainty. Patience. You find yourself not as irritable at things that used to bother you. Hmm. I need some more of that fruit. Kindness. You simply smile a whole lot more. Goodness. You catch yourself doing the right things before you even think about it. Faithfulness. You find that your word is truly your bond. Gentleness. You're empathetic to the needs of others. And finally, self control. You have learned to say no to the poisonous things that bring you momentary pleasure, but ultimate death. I want the fruits of the Spirit in my life. It's going to lead us to point two real quick. Spiritual fruit produces situational awareness. Situational awareness. Now, how many of you guys have been to the grocery store? You push on the cart down the aisle And somebody has blocked the aisle with their grocery cart, totally oblivious to everything that's going on. And of course, they're on their phone, talking as loud as they want to, not even paying attention to the traffic jam they have created. How rude, right? I know some of us are guilty of that as well. But some people are just bad at situational awareness. So bad at it that they're no good use to anyone. And that's contrary to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Living in the Holy Spirit should make us, every one of us, useful to everyone. I think that we as man, we're either a helper or we're a herder. A helper or a herder. I would rather be a helper. I think that puts things into perspective. Uh, now you may call situational awareness discernment, right? But I I believe that situational awareness might be an easier idea for us to grasp. Um, let me give you a quick biblical example of this. Um, first of all, uh, remember how I said earlier that we find all throughout the Bible that God is modeling proper behavior for us to reflect. Um, many studies show, and I know that you know this, that, uh, just how much good and bad behavior is picked up by children simply by observing their parents. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that that Jesus's ministry was very public. It was out in the open. It's for everyone to see. He was modeling to his disciples, and they were to reflect what he did. Jesus was situationally aware, and he was modeling situational awareness, And so in Luke 8, we find a woman who had been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. She was so desperate for a healing that she was willing to go bust through the crowd, break her way through, just to have a chance to touch Jesus' garment. Hmm. Although everyone in the crowd was touching Jesus... The Spirit of God gave him situational awareness that someone desperately needed a miracle. And I want to be like that. I want to be so in tune with the Spirit of God that my spidey senses begin to tingle, all right? And I realize that there is someone in the room that needs a miracle. Jesus modeled this to his disciples. Let me show you their reflection of Jesus real quick. In Acts 3, Acts 3, let's read this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, And he took him him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Man, wouldn't you want to be so filled and used by the spirit that the people that you are around, that you influence through the spirit begin to walk and leap And praise God. You see, the spiritual fruit that was developed in Peter gave him situational awareness, gave him discernment that activated a spiritual gift of healing in that moment. You got to know Peter, in the flesh, was 100% passion. He was always 100% passion, 0% compassion. But the spiritual fruit began to grow within him, developing fruits like patience, patience, like kindness, like gentleness, and self-control. Things that would allow him to be situationally aware of this man's true need. Hmm. You see, the man didn't need a handful of nickels that would meet his needs for the day. Change to fill a a pocket was not the type of change that he was about to receive. He needed a supernatural change that would lift him out of daily despair and into a new life full of purpose, full of gratitude, and full of the ability to help others. It was a reflection of God's goodness. And now, on an even deeper level, and I want you to get this, part of being situationally aware is understanding that sometimes In order to make it to the promised land, you got to go through the desert first. Right? In order for there to be a resurrection, there first has to be a death. Hmm. That the cross must precede the crown. So understand that it was the Holy Spirit, the helper, that even led Jesus into the wilderness to test him and to try him before setting him on his path of ministry. And sometimes living in the spirit means that he will lead us down dark paths into dangerous valleys in order to prepare us for blessings ahead. And if you don't have situational awareness, and this is the truth, in these times you might jump out of the very fire that God has for you and you would forfeit the refinement process. Think about that. That's the truth. You see, we were created to reflect God's glory. Uh, We were created like Eve to be helpers to one another. So it makes perfect sense then that God would allow us to experience trial for in the experience of overcoming the trial, we n- now know how to speak life into other people. Uh, Paul writes this in, in his greeting in, to his, uh, in his second letter to the Corinthians. He writes that, and I'm paraphrasing this, he writes this, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our, all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others with the same comfort we receive from God. You see, God is showing us how to treat each other. He's modeling what we need to see, to reflect. He's saying, look at the things that I've done for you. Now go do those things. He's not saying that your life is going to be perfect. No. He's not saying that because that's going to prevent us from relating to and understanding how to help people in their own pain, in their own suffering, and in their own trials. So then how are we supposed to know if the dark cloud that we're under is because God led us there or because we led ourselves? I think the answer to that is a whole lot more simple than you might think, which brings up point three understand that the Spirit of God will never lead you astray. The Spirit of God will never lead you astray. Now, in the classes that I teach, I always begin class by taking prayer requests. And the number one request of all my college students, it always centers around knowing if they're in the will of God. Knowing if they're in the will of God. And let me tell you something. It's not complicated. God is not complicated. He has not set up a system for us to move in, just to pull the rug out from under us. That's not the way that he works. This is simple. As we walk closer and closer to God, we can rest assured that we are in his perfect will for us. This includes times of great blessings and joy, as well as times of darkness and emptiness and loneliness. He will lead you through dark times to prepare you for things you will encounter in the future. You just know that you are being refined. Do not jump out of that fire. Now, I believe that there are three things that we can do to walk closer to God. Number one, we need to do our best to read the Bible. Number two, we need to pray. And then finally, number three, we need to be in Christian fellowship with others. Those three things, because God speaks to us through his written word. He speaks to us as we choose to speak to him through prayer. And then he also speaks to us through the spiritual giftings of other people. If you can get these three things down, you're going to find yourself naturally gravitating toward many more of those spiritual disciplines that you might be lacking in your life. But I believe that these are the big three. So in closing, I want to invite the worship team up. I mentioned earlier about Pastor Michael preaching on the prodigal son. There is an important connection that I want to make real quick to the father of the prodigal and of the Holy Spirit. And it's all seen in the term embraced in that passage. You see, the, the prodigal son, like Adam and Eve, like you and I at sometimes, we turn from the blessings that God gives us, from the securities of our father, and we follow our own desires and we end up squandering our inheritance. This prodigal, he desperately returns to his father to beg his forgiveness, but before he can even get within earshot, John 15, 20 says this. He says, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is so important. And this is why it's so, it's why the Bible is so deep. Study the Bible. The term embraced used here in John is, in the Greek, it's, it's epipipto. And that's a fun word to say epipipto. Embraced, epipip, epipipto. It's incredible to grasp, but understand that this is the very same term used in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit would fall on God's people. The Holy Spirit wants to embrace you just as the father of the prodigal ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. So understand that the Holy Spirit sees you He feels compassion toward you, and he's running to meet you right now so that he can embrace you. Now, there's something about a full embrace. You know it. Every time you see mom or dad, you want a full embrace, a full hug. There is something about being heart-to-heart with someone. You see all worry and anxiety begins to melt when you're heart to heart with someone. All hate and past hurt begins to disappear. And God's perfect and complete love for us is reflected. Can I have everybody stand up as we as we close real quick? You see God wants to embrace every single one of you today. He wants to be heart to heart with you. In the middle of your own personal ghost story, he's there to hold you. For some of you, it's it's simply been too long since you've had that heart to heart embrace. Hmm. This is a moment that you can't pass up. God wants to embrace you today. He wants, he wants you to know that, that you're forgiven, that you're his child, that you have a purpose, that you are beautiful and you are precious to him so let's go ahead and bow our head let's let's say this prayer to our loving God can you guys repeat after me Father I want to be embraced by you today I want to feel your perfect love I want to reflect your glory with my life please forgive me for all that I've done wrong For ignoring your advances. For deflecting your gaze. Today I take a step toward you. And I look to your spirit to guide me. Into the life that you've always wanted me to have. For I know that where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. So I surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.